In a corporate world, your voice is just one of many. I think also women bring a different voice to sales. Hashtag blessed, I'm gonna use it. People often view enablement as the closet of broken things. Hello everyone and welcome to the Sound of Sales. This episode features the first woman on the show. She's a mom of two and voted one to watch in sales enablement. Enjoy this episode. You linked to that you moved to the UK um, right after studying and then with nothing. I did. I always had this weird dream of like living in London. Um, and... I wanted to live in London, watched a lot of movies. When I graduated uni, I finished my uni in Poland, actually. Um, and then obviously I was applying for multiple jobs. I flew in for an interview twice. At that time I was working for, I, I got an offer at Bloomberg, got the job, packed my bags, three suitcases and moved and moved to London all by myself. And never looked back. And never looked back, yeah. Wow, that must have been quite a jump, actually, at a young age as well. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. I can't, uh, I can't imagine. Well, I can imagine myself living in London because I love this city, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's only a one-hour train ride from where I am. I know. For me, it was a big. It was a big. Um, it was a big shift, right? But I always knew. I grew up in the states, actually. So I grew up in New York. I. That's where I went to school. That's where I was raised. When I moved to Poland, Poland was obviously a lot smaller than what I was used to. Um, and London seemed to have all the opportunities at that time. So after graduating, I, I moved here and then had my life here ever since. Met my husband, had two kids, and now this is home. Awesome. How old are your kids right now? Six and two. Six and two. Yeah. If I would ask your six-year-old what you currently do for a living, what would he or she, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. Yeah, so I think my six-year-old would definitely say mommy works for ReachDesk and she sends cool gifts. He seems to know that very well. Uh, he's always like kept, kept on track with my career choices and where I am. So when I was at Bloomberg, he knew mommy works at Bloomberg. When I was wow. at Silverfin, he knew mommy worked at Silverfin. And now mommy's at ReachDesk, so he's, he's well-versed. Wow. Yeah, you, you don't hear that a lot. <laughs> no, he knows everything. He's a, he's a very curious little boy, so he he knows a lot for his age. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. I I saw your profile while you were working at ReachDesk, and then I, I started to dig in a little bit. Yeah. So um, you actually before that you were ten years in Bloomberg, which is more corporate environment. It was, yeah. How did you make the jump? Mm. Because that's another jump in your life, basically. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's an interesting one. So I've been at Bloomberg for 10 and a half years, which is a really long period of time. So for, for that time, from when I started my career up until I left, the only thing that I knew was the corporate world. I actually met my husband um, at Bloomberg. He didn't stay for as long as I did. He, he moved out after four, four years and he went to work for startups. And I've, I've had this glimpse of his world and the pace at which he works and, you know, the culture, the vibe, the people. And I always said, you know, that's kind of the direction where I want to go. So when I had Teddy, um, I knew that I wanted that change. But obviously, when you go back to work after maternity leave, you know, things suck you in, you get sucked back into, into your day job. 
Um, and then finally, when I had my daughter, I said, right, it's definitely time for, for me to change. Um, and I moved away into the startup world. And I have to say, for me, it was the best decision I could have ever made. Um, I love a very high-paced environment. I love building things from the ground up, really getting the foundations in place. Um, and I love coaching and training people, right? So enablement, what it is in a, in a big corporate world is very different to what it is in the startup world where you're actually building out a lot of the processes from scratch. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been, it's been the best move. And actually when I had my daughter, she's two now, I started my own podcast, which is the stay human podcast, all focused on sales, right? Noticing that there aren't many women that actually run podcasts. Let's face it. Podcasts, pretty male dominated. Even if you look at the guests on my podcast, they are, you know, males, right? And I almost want to bring more women and showcase more um, more women in, into the sales space. So I think having my own podcast also um, helped me with that transition from, from the corporate to, to the startup world. It's also given me my own voice because when you're in, in a corporate world, your voice is just one of many, right? And it's difficult to have your own, your own voice and, and really showcase what it is that you stand for. So having that podcast allowed me to do that. And then that transition was so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Like as a male person in the sales world, I can't, I think I can't fully gasp what it is like to be a woman in it. And mm -hmm. just because, as you say, there are not a lot of women in the industry um, or, or not even or speaking up. Right. I mm -hmm. think there are a lot of them, but they're like, how, how do you know this? Um, being in sales and being a leader in sales, the, are there differences in the way people handle you as a person as compared mm -hmm. to maybe male colleagues? Mm, I think that's maybe a topic, like a whole, uh, a whole other topic. But um, just looking at my experience, right, even account executives, whether it's, um, you know, at any startup, whether it's based here in the UK, internationally in Belgium and Netherlands, probably the majority of your workforce are going to be males. Um, I think that goes back to the fact that sales is a male dominated industry, right? And a woman coming in, you know, she, she, she is part of that team. She does have her own voice, but for some reason, maybe females tend to shy away from sales. I know I don't. Um, but I think it's something that is, that is definitely changing and we're on the right trajectory. Um, I think also women bring a different voice to sales. You know, we're, you know, we're compassionate. We have that empathy, right? We have those motherly instincts as well. Um, we're good listeners for the most part, right? Um, we, we really have the best interest of the other individual, um, at heart. So, I think it's something that's that's definitely changing. I want to see more female voices in the industry, especially in SaaS, tech sales, B2B. Um, and I think we're on the right path. Yeah, from what I see, I, I, I see performance is even higher with female salespeople than male salespeople. Yeah, I think, I think it varies. I think if you enable people, and, and this is where enablement comes in, right? If you, it doesn't matter who you are. Um, it doesn't matter what background you come uh, from, but if you are coachable and you're given the right tools, resources, processes, 
and shown the way, you know, your chance of success is exactly the same as it is for your male, you know, your male colleague or whether you're a female colleague, right? It's exactly the same, but you have to enable everyone in the same way. So it's, it's an interesting one. I think there's a lot of factors that come to come to play, but ultimately everyone has to be enabled in the right way. There's work to be done to, um, to make sure that that enablement happens in a lot of businesses, um, which is also why we started this podcast to, to level out what is happening behind sales mm. uh, and to tell more stories. And I'm actually very glad that you're the first female on the show. Um, it took me quite some time to actually find woman who wants to really, yeah, to go on the show, actually. Have you experienced pushback with having female sales individuals come on, come on the podcast? Well, it's a little bit as what you said that you feel comfortable in, um, in building your own brand, building your own podcast and being out there. Um, but I've noticed that there are a lot that shy a little bit away from mm -hmm. it. Um, because it's such a very sometimes, yeah, it's not an easy thing to do to just go on a podcast and tell your story. Um, yeah. I think it's also, and this is something that I learned coming out from the corporate world. It is so important to have your own voice. Um, it is so important to spend time in building out your own personal brand. It is so important for letting others see you know, what it is that you stand for, what your values are, what you're passionate about, right? How you're trying to make a change or strive towards making a change. But I only learned that really coming out of the corporate world, because as I said, when you're part of it, you're just, you know, you're just a voice, like you're just one of many, you know, people are like, oh, LinkedIn, you know, should I have a LinkedIn profile? I'm already, you know, I'm already here. What's the point of it? You only really realize the importance of that when you step away from the big corporate world, right? And and for me, that was the point where I said, I need to invest time in all those things. Because if I want to work in a high hyper growth, um, scale up startup, having that voice is going to help me position myself better. But also if I'm interviewing or if I'm speaking with founders or VPs of sales, you know, for them, it's also very easy to go on my LinkedIn and see what it is that I stand for. You know, what are the values that I care about? What are the things that um, I do? I think it's very easy for people to say they're passionate about something or I love sales, but then you go, okay, let's, let's have a look at what it is that you're doing and there's nothing. Then your story doesn't necessarily tell or your story isn't necessarily reflected in what you're showing to to the world. If I look at my girlfriend, for example, she is like the person that says, why do I need a LinkedIn? <laughs> I have my job. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm like the person like, she sees that I'm doing video and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, but that's the other extreme. But <laughs> have you noticed that the power of building that brand has changed the perception of um, you in a professional field? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So so definitely, right? You will have the people who say, well, I have a job. Why do I need a LinkedIn page? But you have this job today. What happens in six months or a year or two years down the line, right? Um, but it's also really about building your presence. And what building your presence allows you to do is build a network of fantastic individuals, friends, 
you know, through my podcast, through LinkedIn, I've met so many people that I keep in touch with on a regular basis. We message, you know, we'll send movie recommendations and book recommendations. But I know if I also need, you know, career advice or thoughts on something, I know that I can always turn turn to those people, turn to those individuals. Um, I think it's also about not thinking today, like today is all that matters, right? Because if you have this mindset, then potentially you are thinking, well, what's the point? But it's also thinking forward. It's also thinking ahead, right? Life is now 100%, live in the moment, but think about how, how you want the world to see you, what you want to be known for. Yeah, indeed. It can, it can, the next day you can get fired and then you, you have nothing to rely on. You have, you know, you, you have, um, you have nothing, right? And um, Bloomberg actually is a company that doesn't give references. So if you leave, you can't call on them. And I'm sure this is similar to in other corporations as well. You can't call on them to give a reference, even a character reference. You know, that concept doesn't exist. The only thing you get is, yes, she worked here 10 and a half years. That's it, right? So the credibility, the element of credibility and being credible, yes, you have it on paper. Yes, someone can say you were in a place, you know, but they can't necessarily do that character reference. And what better way to, to do that than actually doing it yourself by being active on platforms like LinkedIn, for example. So you're currently at Reach Desk, you're the sales enablement lead. Um, what does your day-to-day -day look like? Um, like yeah. you're the lead. It doesn't mean you have the end say in everything that happens regarding sales enablement. Um, I would like to think that I do, <laughs> but, um, a lot of our decisions are actually jointly made with our VPs of sales, with the co-founder, with whom I work very closely with. Um, but ultimately anything enablement really does fall, fall on my plate. Um, it's interesting. I think there's lots of misconceptions around what enablement is and isn't. Um, I think I spoke about this on other podcasts as well, and even my own, that people often view enablement as the closet of broken things. Something is broken, enablement will take care of it, right? You know, something is missing, enablement will, will fix it for us. And that's fine, but that's the reactive part of the role. And I think the proactive part of the enablement role really is working closely with your commercial team, anyone who's in a customer facing role and making sure that they have everything they need to be successful, right? It's doing that groundwork. It's giving them those fundamentals and then being able to build on them. So a big part of my role now is, you know, looking at and this is in conjunction with also my colleague in sales ops is looking at, you know, what are some of the processes that are that are in place? Are they efficient? If we're doing handovers, you know, are they done in the right way? Can we simplify the process? Um, working closely with marketing, right? Do we have all the marketing collateral to be able to give to our sales teams to make sure that they're able to have great conversations with our customers? So I like to think of enablement really as bridge right the bridge between sales and marketing you know the bridge between sales and partially our customers as well um and it's really equipping them with the right tools that they need to be successful um lots of projects going on right now um so my day is definitely busy 
<laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> in a nutshell. I, I can list them out, but I don't think you want to hear them. No, it's all right. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot. And if you compare it from, um, from your days in corporate, because there you, you, you climb the ladder and at the end you're also in enablement. Um, yeah. Is it comparable in the corporate landscape, what you are doing versus what you're doing currently? Yeah, I think it's interesting because a lot of individuals will have this conception that if, if, if you are part of a big corporate, you know, Amazon, Google, right? Yes, a lot of the processes are probably already built out, right? But how you're constantly training, coaching, working with the sales teams, maybe it's not as built out as you would imagine. Um, so even if I look back at my time at Bloomberg, you know, there were a lot of things that obviously are in place. You know, things are working and the company is doing amazingly well. But also because things are changing so quickly, um, whether it's the product that's changing, whether it's the services that we're selling, whether it's the need of our customers is changing, the challenges that they're facing, right? That's where enablement really comes in to help build out whether it's training courses, right? Whether it's resources, whether it's collateral to ensure that everyone's able to have those conversations. So that is also very similar to, to the startup world where things are moving very quickly. The product is evolving constantly, you know, constantly we're making changes. Maybe we're just figuring things out and we, and we need to decide what the right process or the right approach to things is. So I think there is a lot of commonalities, but definitely in the startup space, you're building things from the ground up. You're not building on it. You will eventually at some point, but you're really building it from the ground up. Yeah, you, you start from scratch, but you also have that major impact and, and I guess sense of fulfillment because you are so close to the results as well, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So that sense of fulfillment is is huge, right? And that's what allows me to wake up every morning and say, I want to do this because I know that I'm having an impact. And, that, and that's, you know, wonderful, beautiful, call it whatever you want, but ultimately we all need that purpose, right? In any job, in any role, you need a purpose. If you don't have a purpose, then you start questioning, you know, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Is this making sense? Is what I'm doing actually having an impact on someone? So that is, that is important. Yeah, exactly. And um, if you, enablement is, is changing quick, like the last five years, um, I think five years ago, people weren't even calling it sales enablement. Uh, mm. and, and now it's called revenue enablement. It's, it's, it's getting a new name already. How yeah. do you see the landscape evolving? Um, like if, if you look at the last few years and the next five years to come, mm. what do you think? How, how will sales evolve? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think um, COVID and obviously everyone talks about COVID. But I think COVID really sped up the entire process, right? Before COVID, you went online, you went on LinkedIn, you typed in sales enablement, maybe a few things would come up. Now you go on LinkedIn, you typed in sales enablement, even if you look at the number of roles that are available, it's huge. It's huge. The market is extremely competitive. But I think the, the fact that we had to shift from working in the office to working at home has also forced a lot of organizations to say, well, how are we going to make this happen, right? We're no longer having that FaceTime. Who's going to do it? You know, is it going to be someone else's pet project that they're going to do on the side? Or do we really need a dedicated individual to, 
to help us with that. So I think COVID definitely sped up the entire process of bringing enablement to light. And actually, if you look at early stage startups, say someone has had a series A investment, maybe they're not yet thinking about enablement. Series B, you're 100% thinking about enablement. The shift that I see happening potentially in the next five years is that even early stage startups, so say series A, they're going to start thinking about enablement. Why? Because we all know it's very easy to build out processes. It's easier to do that from scratch rather than build out things, find out that they don't work and have someone come in and try to unravel, right? And that's what ends up happening. Um, I also think that technology is going to play a huge role. I mean, if I look at my inbox on a daily basis, I get, you know, emails and outreach and I'm part of different sequences and I get tons of emails for different types of tools, different types of tech. Um, I think it's enablement's role to think, how can technology equip people as well? How can technology make them more successful? So I definitely think technology AI is going to play um, a big part and it's it's down to enablement to you know think is this something we can leverage is this something that's going to help us make um make a difference um but definitely the importance and and the you know the emphasis on enablement has um increased significantly over over the last five years and it's going to continue doing so yeah and in the beginning it was seen as it's a trainer it's a person that mm -hmm. trains our people and now it's really the gatekeeper and the, the middleman between sales and marketing and making sure that these people can work as efficient and most effective as possible and i think look if you look at enablement teams you can have a trainer that's a dedicated role within an enablement team someone who's designing uh, learning programs, that's another dedicated role, right? Someone who's managing all the programs that we've built together, that's another dedicated role. I think there are as many different roles within enablement, but I wouldn't say that enablement, a person in enablement is just a trainer or a person in enablement is just building curriculums because it, it, it might be your strong point, awesome, but it might not, right? But it's really being that, you said gatekeeper. Yes, it's really... It's, it's like conducting an orchestra. Like, how do you make all the instruments, you know, play beautifully together, right? You need that conductor. So do I see myself as a conductor? Maybe, yeah, a little bit, right? You know, you're conducting the different elements um, that play play nicely together. What, what in your job gives you the most energy? What in my job gives me the most energy? That is a great question. Coffee, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it's making that impact, knowing that you're making an impact, knowing that what you're doing, it's not just, you know, a task or something that you have to do, but actually it's what you do enables so many other things, makes so many other things possible. So having that impact a hundred percent, how do you measure your impact? This just for anyone that is starting out with a sales enablement process, for example. Yeah. How do you measure the impact of sales enablement? Oof, that's that's a very loaded question, and I'm yeah. sure we've had this conversation a few times um, in the past. But the way that I look at it is, and there's a lot of gray areas, right? With with anything, there's a lot of gray areas. 
Um, I think enablement has to be correlated with revenue. If you've hired an enablement person and revenue suddenly has gone down, the number of deals that we're closing has gone down, you know, maybe churn has increased as well, then I would be asking myself what that enablement person is doing, right? So I think enablement definitely has to be correlated with revenue. You have to be able to prove that you're making that impact. Um, and there are shorter shorter term metrics that you can use as well, right? If you're doing a training, you know, what's the feedback from that training? Is it something that they're applying? If you then go back and listen to call recordings, right? If you've taught, if you've spoken about a particular methodology or something in particular that you want the sales team to use, are they utilizing it? You know, is it helping us close deals? If you're doing a training dedicated on discovery and how to quickly progress your deals through the sales process, then I, as an enablement person, want to know, well, how, how much time are we spending in discovery? How quickly are we progressing to the next stage, right? So looking at the sales process, looking at the trainings, and then at the end, looking at um, the impact that you have on revenue or the correlation with revenue. Yeah, it's super important because otherwise you're just working blindly. Exactly, right? And it, I think a lot of enablement is also based around feedback, you need to constantly and continuously be communicating. If you are not communicating with people around you, you are working blindly. Yeah. It has to be a two-way street. You know, you have to be listening to what everyone is saying, taking it on board. And yes, you know, people might come to you with ideas of this would be really great. This would be really awesome. And ultimately, you can have 100 ideas sitting on your table that all seem like great ideas. But which idea is really going to help us? achieve what it is that we're going after. Mm -hmm. And do you do you talk to the salespeople directly to get that information or do you do you base it on data from calling tools and that sort of software that helps you understand their processes? Yeah, I think it has to be two ways. I think you need to have that element of conversation. You can't shy away from it. You need to have it. But then the other part is looking at data and seeing, am I here? is what I'm hearing correlating to what I'm seeing, right? Um, so it's definitely a two-way street. Yeah. And to bring it back to you being a woman, do, do you notice that people in your sales team don't take you all too seriously sometimes? Or have you noticed that in the past? Um, not now, definitely not. I think in the past, maybe it's challenging when you're just starting off your career, right? When you're just that junior person and you're trying to build up your credibility. But again, I think it's the same for male counterparts, right? That are just starting off. They need to build that credibility to be able to really stand on their own. So I don't think that plays that much, um, that much of a role. Um, and ultimately, anyone who's starting off, right, you know, they want to be credible, they want to learn the product, they want to know the customers, they want to understand the processes, they want to understand what challenges they're solving, how can they help. And until you gain a little bit of experience, that credibility isn't there, but it's something that you have to continuously um, build on. But I mean, I'm really happy and I'm super blessed, hashtag blessed, I'm going to use it because I work with incredible people, with amazing people. And really waking up in the morning and, and doing my role really puts a smile on my face. So if you guys are listening, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell that you are that you are very happy where you are right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
how do you balance all that work and and work and the life besides work like your family and all that sort of stuff because you're very driven you have a podcast um you yeah you have your personal brand you want to you're devoted one to watch sorry i had to look mm. what exactly the term was so yeah you must be doing a lot of stuff how are you managing all those little bits I think you might want to have that conversation with my husband. He can probably <laughs> shed some light on that. Um, it's not easy, right? I think once you, when you don't yet have a family, when you don't yet have kids, you live life a little bit in a free way, right? You don't, mm -hmm. you don't think, you, you just think about yourself, right? You know, I want to go to a restaurant. I'll go to a restaurant. I need to stay later at work. I'll stay later at work, right? No one else is dependent on you. I think when you have a family and when you have kids, you know, my number one job is to be a mom. That's my number one job. My second job is enablement. I love both equally, but my number one job is my family, right? And I want to make sure that obviously my kids, you know, grow up in a, in a loving home. They have their mom around. I don't want to be a mom that's constantly, you know, I'm, I'm not here, I'm busy, I'm constantly working. So having that balance is important. But what I try to do is really, you know, nine to five thirty when I have to pick them up from school and from nursery, I am a hundred percent dedicated to to my role. Right, five thirty comes. It doesn't matter what's happening on the other side of the screen. Right, I am a mom. You know, I have to make dinner. I have to sit down, do the homework. I have to sit down, do reading. I have to do bath time, story time, put them to sleep, make sure that they're looked after. And then obviously once they're asleep, my day doesn't end. And actually for my own podcast, a lot of the episodes that I record, I do it late at night. I'll record 10 p.m., 11 p.m. Um, and then I'll go to sleep and start the day again. So it's finding your rhythm and it's finding what works. I'm also lucky because I think with COVID, we're we're all working a lot more at home. And I think that's here to stay. I, I can't envision going back to an office five days a week. And actually being able to work from home allows you to be a little bit more flexible, right? In the past, I would have to wake up at 5 a.m. and leave my house before 7. Right now, I know I can drop my kids off in the morning take them to school. I can be back at my desk at home at nine. I don't have an hour long commute. Um, and I also have the support of my husband, right? So if I am in meetings at 5.30, which does happen, he'll pick up the kids. And then he'll tell me, you know, next week I have to be in the office and I know, okay, I'm going to manage my diary so I can pick up the kids. So I think it's all about managing it, but I'm not going to lie. It's not easy. It's hard. There are days where you think, you know, am I doing a good enough job? And you have that self-doubt come in. And I think that's normal. You're thinking, am I doing a good job at work? Am I doing a good job with my kids? You know, you get mommy guilt. Mommy guilt is a real thing. It exists. You know, when you're so busy with other things that are happening around you, you do get that mommy guilt. Am I spending enough time with, with my kids? But I think for any working woman who's also a mom, you know, has children, is married, or has a partner, whatever the situation may be, I think we have to give each other more credit because it's very easy, I know for me, to be very harsh with myself. I didn't do a good job. I could have done that better. But you also have to give yourself some credit 
Um, I don't do it enough to myself. My husband does, you know, fill in the gaps. But I think it's important also to have someone to rein you in and let you know that things are okay and you're doing the best that you can. Yeah, indeed. Did it change you professionally uh, when you became a mom? Um, that's a great question. Did it change me professionally? I think it made me really be aware of the time that I have. So if I have however many hours in the day, I know that the, I have to do it in that time. Whereas in the past, well, I, I didn't finish it at six. That's fine. I'll do it at seven or at eight. Um, so I think now I'm just a lot more aware of the time that I have for certain things. And I try to be as efficient as possible um, in that time, right? But it also made me realize life is a combination of things and it's not just work, right? It's what also makes you happy. It's the people that you spend time with. It's your family and you have to be able to balance it all. I think before, maybe my thought was, it, it's, it's just this, right? <laughs> this, is, this is it. Whereas now I know it's not. And, and in your decision-making, because what, what you sometimes notice is from the moment somebody becomes a parent, you start to understand that there's way more in life and, and it makes you a little bit more human because you've seen what it is to produce a human being, so to say. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice that that had an impact on, on that end as well? That you look at things differently? Um... It's funny because when you become a mom, that mom instinct kicks in, you know, even in situations where you're not someone's parent, right? I'm not your mom, but I, I care, you know, I care and I'm, and I'm genuine with, with my feelings. Um, I think it forces you to be more patient and you only learn true patience with children that ask you why 20 times in a space of two minutes. And, you know, you can't shut them down. They're trying to be curious. They're trying to learn. Um, so that patience, you, you, you develop patience, you know, maybe life moves a little bit slower, but you also have to understand that that's normal. You know, they're still learning. And I think that does translate into the professional life as well. What makes you feel inspired to be your best version of yourself? Is that also part of your kids or are there other drivers that um, that inspire you to be constantly on that high pressure? Yeah, I think when you have kids, you set an example, right? You set an example for them. You want them to, to know that whatever mommy is doing is right, right? So being that example for my kids inspires me, but ultimately whatever it is that I'm doing now i'm not doing it just for myself i'm not doing it just to have that amazing holiday in july and go to the maldives for two weeks right whereas in the past maybe that was a little bit of my motivation right i want to be able to go on that nice holiday have that sense of achievement whereas now yes i want to have that sense of achievement but everything that i'm doing i'm also doing it for them right i want them to be able to have the you know a good life, to be able to have a good upbringing, to know that, you know, their mom works, but she also does everything for us. She's always there. She's always available. 
Um, I would say my kids definitely inspire me. Um, and then this might sound cheesy, but it's also my husband, right? He's also in sales. You know, he's a VP of sales at another startup. Our conversations Monday to Friday are pretty much sales related. You know, this is the joke that's going around, right? Like that's all we talk about, um, which is true, but not true. Um, but he also inspires me. You know, he also comes up with ideas. He, he'll also share something with me and I'll say, wow, I had no idea. That's so cool. How can we use it? How can we implement it? So it's definitely a combination of factors. It must be a, a cool synergy going on between a VP of sales and a sales enablement lead. You, you must learn a lot from each other. Yeah. And it's so funny because I look at a lot of the things that he's doing and he's doing a lot of the things that I'm doing, but he, purely because he doesn't have an enablement person, right? So if you're in that early stage startup, you don't have someone in enablement, you know, you might be a VP of sales, but in reality, you're also marketing, you're also enablement, you're also an AE, and you're also an SDR. So you're mixing all those roles together. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Which makes the VP role at startups, it's, it's what they say, right? You have to be an SDR or be prospecting at least once a month. <laughs> you have to do everything. You have to, you know, you have to be a mixture of it all and you have to be prepared to do that. Um, I think he's doing an amazing job. Um, so, yeah. I'll have to invite him as well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> then I can compare notes. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I saw a quote on your LinkedIn from Yannick at Silverfin, mm. um, who's actually was an intern with me six years ago, five or six years ago. And he said there that you have a very positive energy and mindset. Are you spiritually active in like mindset things? Is, is this something that keeps mm. you like thinking there's everything happens for a reason? Mm. That's a great question. So I try to be positive about everything, right? And I feel energy rubs off on people. If I'm surrounded by people who are constantly moaning, constantly complaining, subconsciously, I might not know it, but subconsciously I'm turning into that person, right? So I always try to be positive. I always try to, you know, bring positive energy, whether it's in a meeting that's in person or whether it's over Zoom, I try to bring that energy because I know people feed off energy. So if I can be positive, if I can, you know, make make things a little bit more rosy, right? It's not the end of the world, you know, we'll, we'll fix it, we'll get there. I think that also rubs off on people. Um, I think also, Prior to having kids, maybe my attitude was slightly different. You know, something went wrong at work. It's the end of the world. That's it. I'm so angry. Right. Whereas now I realize it's not right. It's not the be all and that's it. There, there is another side to it. Is it, is it something that you actively work with as well? If you notice that somebody has that vibe around them and you're in that one-on-one -on -one to learn more about like to enable them, um, is it something that you that you tend to openly discuss? Like, it might not be the technology, it might be the mindset, or it might be Ooh. the approach of things. That's a, a great question, and I think you have to tread very carefully, right? Because ultimately, you don't want to offend someone, right? If I tell you your energy sucks and I'm absolutely exhausted after 
15 minutes of having this meeting with you, you're never going to want to talk to me again, right? So it's finding the right way. I would never say it outright to people. Um, I think it's something you have to be aware of. You also have to be aware of how the other person is and their personality. And I think getting to know people plays a huge part in that. But I know if someone is, you know, very quick paced, very happy, you know, positive energy, my tone and how I communicate with them also changes, right? Because it will, it will reflect that. If I notice someone is maybe more detail oriented and, you know, they go into the weeds and they get really caught up on something, my approach and my communication style with them will, will also change. I think it's being really mindful of your surroundings, right? It's having that emotional intelligence. We talk about it so much. Everyone talks about it. How do you do it? Be aware of your surroundings, you know, be aware of who you're communicating and talking to. It's easier said than done, I believe. It is, it is, <laughs> right? Because it's very easy to get, you know, fired up and angry and, but you have to realize it's not the end of the world, right? We can fix everything. Yeah, but before you know it, because you're going into that conversation with someone, you take up that energy and it's a downward spiral even before you realize you're taking over the energy. Mm, yeah, I mean, look, in the past, I've been around people and I've spoken about this to a few you know, friends of mine and being around someone for an hour and I said, oh, I feel like my energy is drained. I feel like someone has sucked the soul out of me, right? And you will encounter people like that. Um, you have to make choices. Obviously, if it's in a professional setting, you know, you still want to maintain a good relationship with them, but you, you just have to be mindful. I can't change. You can't change someone in one day. But it's little steps, right? So maybe having that one hour meeting with them right off the bat to talk about everything that's wrong isn't the right way forward. Maybe it has to be done in small increments. Um, but you just have to be aware of it. It's something that I am actively trying to work on with myself to mm. really feel the room and, and to have that open conversation with employees and with other people that there's... Yeah, that there's something around. Um... It is. And, you know, you, you can go on Instagram, you can Google it, and, and people will say it's a real thing. You can be around people who will make you feel alive and will make you feel happy and will make you feel like you want to do things. And then you'll be around someone that will make you feel down, depressed, sad, right? It, it's, a real, it's a real thing, but it boils down to knowing what's important to you, knowing what you stand for, knowing how you want the world to see you, right? We talked about this earlier on, that personal brand, that image, that reputation. I, you know, I, I am positive. I, I am highly energetic. I will come up with an idea and try to execute it the next day. And that's me. You know, that, that, is, that is how I am. Do you think it's also part of, or could be part of an enablement role inside a company? that you create that results-oriented culture, because essentially that's what you're doing. But the vibe of it is also a huge part of the culture. Yeah, I mean, look, you can be talking about results and you can be talking about targets. 
Um, and the way that you communicate the message, it could be exactly the same message, but it could come from two different people and it's going to be accepted and taken on board completely differently, right? Same message, different tone. People are going to feel differently about the same message, just communicated in two different ways. Yeah. Or, or by two different people. Like sometimes when a CEO says something, it's perceived a whole lot different than if yeah. you would say something, for example. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, tonality, tonality does play a part um, in it. And everyone wants to be result driven. Everyone wants to look at data. And that's fine because ultimately, right, we talked about revenue. We talked about, you know, correlation with enablement. But it's also knowing how to communicate with your audience, knowing how to communicate with your salespeople and how they like to be communicated with. Which, to your point, yes, it's easier said than done, right? But it takes practice. It's something I believe is becoming more and more important. The way you share a message, the way you, you introduce new tools, the way you introduce new strategies. I think more and more people are becoming aware. And I think it's also with the COVID situation, people have met themselves so to say and they've they've understood like okay there's more than just work yeah um and and mental health has become so much more important mm, yeah i i hear what you're saying and i also think there's two sides to the coin i think with our generation today it's very easy for people to be hypersensitive to things rewind back 15 years ago, you might have said the same thing and people would have said, oh, okay, right? But you would say that today and people would be hypersensitive about it. Um, and maybe that's, you know, that's us. Like that's how we're, you know, being brought up, right? You can get upset about one thing and you can take something as offensive, even though it's not meant to be offensive. But I think we have to be, we have to be mindful of that, you know? what maybe if i say something in one particular way it could offend someone that wasn't my intention but i we have to be more be more aware of that and reword things that yeah. is also a big shift that happens is you really have to watch your word nowadays <laughs> you could say something it could be innocent it could be portrayed negatively i think we have to be mindful of, of our audience of who we're communicating with and just be it's almost like we have to be extra careful with the things that we say, you know, even a LinkedIn post, I will reread my LinkedIn post as innocent as it is 10 times before I hit publish. Will it offend someone? Will it hurt someone's feelings? Am I saying something that's politically incorrect? I don't want any of that. Right. So I do take that extra measure of rereading everything a few, you know, 10 times. Yeah, indeed. Now, as my last question, um, and you can't rethink it 10 times. If I give you a billboard at the side of the road and you can put anything on it, what would you put on it? And why would you put it on? <laughs> can I have more than one billboard? <laughs> no, just one. <laughs> just one billboard. That is a great question. I don't know if I have one answer for you. I saw a quote on your web on, on your LinkedIn, but you can't use that one. <laughs> I'm almost leaning in multiple kind of directions. If I had a billboard and it had to 
maybe say a little bit more about who it is. Obviously, I would love to have, you know, a picture of my kids and my husband on there. Um, but if not, then I would definitely say, you know, sales is human and our connections are all human. And ultimately, whichever role you are in, don't forget that you're human and the people that you interact with are human. And we all want, you know, those, those human connections. Do you have the feeling that it's becoming increasingly hard to be a human in sales? I actually think it's the reverse. I think we're getting a lot better and I think it has shifted. Um, I think now we're so much more aware of ourselves, of the fact that it's not about closing a deal. It's about having that conversation and about seeing whether you can genuinely help someone. If I know I can't help you, I will not string you along and convince you that I that I can, right? Because sooner or later you will find out, hey, this wasn't the right fit. This wasn't the right match. Um, and I think we're we've we've moved away from that non-human element and a lot of companies everyone is trying to embrace this element of being human um and really build those genuine um connections so i actually think we're we're, we're getting better at that yeah that's true and i think they will also appreciate if you don't try to sell too hard even if you don't see a fit yeah and that's the thing right with any meeting that you have with customers the first thing you should be saying is, look, I don't know if I'm going to be in a position to help you. I don't know whether what I have is going to be the right fit for you. But let's have the conversation over the next 45 minutes. And at the end of that, we will decide together if it makes sense to have that next conversation. You know, if I say that to you, you're probably like, okay, it's yeah. not a sales. Relax. It's a con you relax. And because you relax, we're able to share information, you're probably going to tell me a lot more. I'm probably going to understand more about the challenges that you have. Whereas you know that I'm coming in because I'm going to close this sale because it's the end of the month. Well, with these words, Malvina, I uh, would like to thank you for joining me on the Sound of Sales. Thank you so much for having me.